Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Well, good morning. Uh, like Cody said, my name is Drew Marchesani, and I have been on staff here at Candeo for the last five years, leading the youth ministry. Any, any Candeo youth people here? There you go, seven. We got it. Uh, this this uh, church family has had uh, an incredibly special place in my life. Uh, I started following Jesus here. Uh, I got baptized here. Uh, Madigan, my wife, and I learned how to be married here. Uh, and uh, our daughter, Harper, we're really excited to, to have her grow and, and be a part of this church family as well as our, um, as our future kids. And so it's a massive, massive privilege for me to stand up here and open God's word with you. Uh, and I just wanted to start by saying thank you. <laughs> thank you to this church family for being the hands and feet of Jesus to me and my family. And thank you for uh, continuing to be the hands and feet of Jesus for uh, our growing family, which I- I'm super thankful for. Um, one of my favorite places on the entire planet is my grandparents' farm in Little Dyersville, Iowa, home of Field of Dreams and also my favorite place on earth. Um, it, it's not a huge place. They don't have a ton of land, uh, but I can almost put myself in the breezeway of their house right now and just like smell the smells that, that come from walking in the house and it's instantly just relaxing. Or uh, I think about sitting on the back uh, back porch as the sun is just kind of beating down on us in our chairs as we're staring out into these cornfields of nothingness for hours and hours on end. And it's just the best. Or uh, one of the, the, the coolest experiences uh, that, that we have out there is, is at night when it is impossibly dark and impossibly quiet, laying on the grass, staring up into the sky and seeing thousands and thousands of stars, more, more than you can ever imagine even existed. Like, I feel a little sorry for people who, um, who don't have a farm in their family because it's just the best. All of my fondest memories from growing up, o- almost all of them, uh, most of them happen at the farm. It's a place that I think about and instantly get like, uh, like those warm fuzzies. You know what I'm talking about? The warm fuzzies. And I think about it and I have this just deep longing uh, to go back. I want to be there. And, and everyone has some place like the farm, Right? Everyone has got that place that, uh, that you, you get that warm, longing feeling in your heart when you think about it. It, it might be uh, the lake house that you went to with your family growing up, or, or the cabin you take your family on vacation with, um, or it might just be the back patio of your house, surrounded uh, by people you love with a fire during the summer. We've all got a place we think about with fondness that brings us a different and deeper level of longing than anything else in this world. And this morning, as we dive into Psalm 84, it's with that same attitude of fondness and longing that the psalmist writes Psalm 84. And so I'll read the first two verses. This is what he says. He says, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of armies. I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. That is the way that most people talk about their favorite place on the planet. But the psalmist isn't talking about, uh, about the lake house. He's not talking about the cabin in the woods. The place the psalmist has in mind, as he wrote with such intense desire, is God's temple located in Jerusalem. That's the place that he calls lovely 
and says that he longs and yearns to be. And, and so this temple, uh, it was constructed uh, and it was an incredible building in Jerusalem. King Solomon, the, the, the king of Israel at the time, had this building constructed at, at about 1000 BC. And 1 Kings 6 tells us that it took him seven entire years for his people to construct this building. And, and it was absolutely beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. It, had, uh, it, was, it was built of elaborate stone and wood structures. Um, the inside was completely covered from, from ceiling to floor with pure gold. Inside, it, it had uh, golden uh, statues. It had the, uh, the finest fabrics, the most expensive jewels that, that, were, that were just beautiful. I would guess that, that even today, if you could visit this temple, it would be a place that would just take your breath away with the beauty. It would just be absolutely wonderful. It'd be one of those places where if you took a picture of it with your phone and went home and showed your friends, it would not even be close to capturing the beauty that was this temple in Jerusalem. But the beauty of the design is not the reason why the psalmist calls the temple lovely. The reason the temple was lovely to the psalmist is because it was the dwelling place of the living God. In the Old Covenant, the, the time before Jesus, uh, God's presence was uniquely available within the confines of the temple. It, it was there that God himself designated as the place that he would meet with his people. And this closeness to the living God is the reason the psalmist calls the temple lovely. Not, not the decorations, not the pure gold statues, not even the novelty of the experience. It was God himself that the psalmist longed and yearned for. Why? Why did he want that? Because, end of verse 2, his heart and flesh cry out for the living God. That statement is true for every single human being that has ever lived. You were designed for relationship with your creator, but sin has fractured that relationship and separated us from God. And what it leaves us with is a longing for, for fulfillment and satisfaction that is only produced because of sin. And what you'll see, if you look around, is people giving their lives to things that they think will satisfy the longing of their hearts. People going from relationship to relationship to relationship, that, uh, thinking that in the next one, the longing of their hearts will be fulfilled. Men and women giving themselves over to their careers, thinking that by performing at the highest level available to them, they will feel total and complete joy in what they do and their performance. You see people who chase experiences thinking that, that the solution to their unfulfilled life is another vacation. And listen, all of those things are good things. Relationships are good. Work is good. And getting away is good. But those things, listen, those things cannot completely satisfy you. What the psalmist teaches us is that only God himself can bring the truest fulfillment and satisfaction for your life because he's the one that created it. 
There's even a way that this disguises itself and kind of masks itself within the church. And here's, here's how that happens. It's the subtle attitude that, that when you come here or, or you gather with people, um, we don't actually want God. We, we just want his stuff. Like, you don't want God. You just want him to give you a great spouse. You don't want God, you just want a picture-perfect family to show off. You don't want God, you just want God to bless your work so you get enough money to retire comfortably. And we operate, like by coming to church or being a good person, God will give us those desires and then we will feel some level of fulfillment. But, but, but let me tell you something. God wants something actually better for you than a promotion or kids or a vacation. God wants to give you himself to satisfy the longing of your heart and your flesh. Now, uh, before you pull out your phone and uh, log on to Expedia and buy a plane ticket to Jerusalem, you probably should know that the temple is no longer standing, so it will be a big disappointment. But it also raises an important question we've got to answer together. And the question is this. As New Testament believing Christians, how should we understand this psalm living in the time after the temple? Like, essentially the question is, where is God's dwelling place now? And what the New Testament teaches is that, is that there are three places that we can be sure that God dwells. First, we see that God dwells in the hearts of those who have trusted in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on their behalf. Galatians chapter two, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Second Corinthians uh, says this, do you not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you? Whereas in the Old Testament, people had to travel across kingdoms and through lands to visit the temple, what the New Testament teaches is that your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit, God himself, to dwell inside of. But not only does God dwell inside each individual believer, the New Testament also teaches that God is uniquely present when Christians gather together. This is what uh, Ephesians 2 says about the church. Paul writes this in verse 19. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. That is why we put enormous value on gathering together each week to worship. The, the unified gathering of believers physically is a visual representation of the unified people of God spiritually. Because listen, th there's nothing special about this building. This auditorium is not the temple. 
But when believers gather together in this place, what Ephesians 2 teaches is that we are creating a space for God in the Spirit to dwell. So, uh, yes, technically, you can be a Christian and not be involved in a local church. That is possible. But that would kind of be like marrying someone and then deciding not to live in the same house. Like, I mean, it's, it might be possible, I guess, but you would absolutely question the health and the intimacy of that marriage, would you not? So if you want your relationship with God to be healthy and grow in intimacy, do not neglect gathering with God's people consistently because within that gathering, we can be sure that God's presence can be found. So we know that God dwells in the individual believer. He dwells within the gathering of believers, the church. And thirdly, maybe most importantly, God's dwelling place is in heaven forever. It's, uh, it's really fitting that uh, verse 5 calls these travelers to Jerusalem pilgrims. Because the definition of a pilgrim is literally uh, one who journeys in foreign lands. The travelers would journey through foreign lands on their way to God's dwelling place, the temple. And Christian, our life here is a pilgrimage. We are pilgrims journeying through this life, through foreign lands that lead to God's ultimate and final dwelling place in heaven. Um, for, for the last three, four years, excluding COVID, uh, Candeo Youth uh, in the summer has done a week-long summer camp we call youth camp. Um, and it's just, it's, it's the best weekend of the summer that we do, probably the whole year. Um, and if you think I'm crazy for loving a week of teenagers, you might be a little bit right. Um, yeah, yes, it is a bit difficult spending four nights with 10 seventh grade boys in a cabin. Um, I will say that um, fart noises at 1 a.m. are significantly less funny when you're 25 than when you're 12. Um, and, and, you know, by day four, the room is an interesting mix of B.O. and Axe body spray. Uh, I was proud of my boys. They took showers most days, most days. Um, but when I'm packing my bags for camp, I don't bring my nightstand or my lamp. I don't, I don't, pack, I don't fill the U-Haul with my couches and my kitchen table. Honestly, my clothes stay in my bag until the day I'm going to wear them, and then I pull them out just to put them right back in when I'm done with them. Because it'd be silly to try and make a home in a place I'm only staying temporarily. In the same way, Christian, this world is not your home. So collecting treasures or desiring worldly gain is like packing up the U-Haul for a week at camp. Don't make a home in a place that you will only be at temporarily. God's truer and greater dwelling place is in heaven where those who have put their faith in Jesus will live with our hearts satisfied eternally, residing in God's house forever. So we are pilgrims 
journeying through foreign lands to our final resting place with God forever. And while we're pilgrimaging through this life, seasons of challenge and hardships will come. I mean, think about the, the original pilgrims who would sing this psalm or read this psalm. Uh, depending on the, the, the place that they lived or the time of year that they left, they would endure extremely challenging situations like drought, like plague, and like famine. And verses five through seven is their attitude as they're walking through these challenges. Happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a source of spring water. Even the autumn rain will cover it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Each appears before God in Zion. It's a bit unclear if the valley of Baca was an, was an actual place um, it, it probably was, it might have been, um, but Valley of Baca can also be translated in Hebrew as Valley of Tears. So this verse could also be read, as they pass through the Valley of Tears, they make it a source of spring water. Now, now that doesn't mean that as these pilgrims are traveling through dry and desolate lands, they're able to miraculously produce springs of water out of the dust, but instead, through the hardship of the journey, their tears and their hardships and their struggles produced praise because their strength and their hope was in the living God who they were going to pilgrimage to. If this morning you find yourself in the valley of tears, hear what God has to say to you. Your struggle or hardship does not also have to usher in a season of spiritual darkness. It doesn't. Because in the valley of Baca, there can be spring water. In your valley of tears, there can be blessings. What if God wants to use the valley to show you that he can turn tears to praise, that, that he can turn beauty from ashes, that he does bring blessing from brokenness, but that is only possible if verse five is true about you. In the valley, your strength is in God. So if you find yourself in the valley this morning, find your strength in the only one who can truly bring beauty from your tears. But, but I also want to speak to the people uh, this morning who don't find themselves in the valley of tears. You know, maybe, maybe your summer is off to a great start. Like you have no conflict. You have no uh, a, a kind of relational tension with anybody. You're, you're feeling pretty good. And praise God for that. That's awesome. But I, I want to chat with you for a second and say this. The worst time to prepare for a battle is when the enemy is bearing down on you because it's too late. So don't wait for times of struggle to find your strength in God. If, if your strength is not in the Lord in moments of peace and calm. I, I hate to break it to you, but your strength won't magically be put in God when times of struggle come. The best way to prepare for the valley of Baca in the individual person is to find your strength in God today. No matter if you're walking through a deep, dark valley or if you're finding the most joy in your life. Because he is the one that can satisfy in times of peace. And he is the one who can satisfy in times of tears. Psalm 84, 
It closes with the few of the most beautiful lines in all the Psalms. Verse 10, better a day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than live in the tents of wicked people. Are there, are there any kids in the room? Where, where are my kids at? Where are, the, where are the kiddos at? Can you give me a wave so I can see you? Let me see, where are you at? There, okay, I see a bunch. I love it. All right, so I, I love Candeo kids. I love that you guys are in the service. It's so good that you guys are here. I have a few questions for you, okay? So kids, I'm talking to you, and when I ask these questions, you have permission to yell out your answer as loud as you can, okay? Mommy and daddy can't get mad at you for screaming right now, okay? So I want you to yell out your answer as loud as you can. Here's my first question, okay? And remember, be loud. Would you rather have one candy bar or 1,000 candy bars? Well, 1,000, there you are. All right, we're, we're just warming up. We're warming up, okay? Question number two, this is for the kids, okay? Question number two, would you rather have one toy or 1,000 toys? 1,000 toys, all right? Parents, make sure you're taking notes here. Uh, Here's your last one, last question. Would you rather spend one minute at the pool or 1,000 minutes at the pool? 1,000, all right, there's your afternoon plans, everybody. See you all at the pool this afternoon. No, uh, you guys did a great job. Everyone give it up for our kids in the service. Yeah, way to be brave and speak up, I love it. So we know, I mean, in a lot of situations, 1,000 is better than one. We want 1,000 candy bars, not one. But isn't it weird then that the Bible says that one day is better than 1,000 days? Why is that? Because it's not about the length of time, but the location that matters. What the psalmist knows is that the dwelling place of the Lord is so lovely that he'd choose to be there one day than a thousand days anywhere else. Like better is one day with Jesus than a thousand days on the shores of the most beautiful beaches this world has to offer. Better is one day with Jesus than a thousand in the most expensive, luxurious cities that this world has ever seen. He goes on to say that he would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than live in the tents of of wicked people. And, and I'd imagine that, that you have either uh, gotten together with or are going to get together with friends and family for 4th of July. And I want you to imagine that you show up to this gathering or show up to this party and whoever's hosting says, your job is to uh, stand at the front door and open and close it as people come and, and that's it. You, you can't leave your post because it's a very, it's a very special post. And uh, as people are eating, you're standing at the door waiting, opening it and closing it as people show up. You, you uh, uh, as people start eating and, and laughing, you are standing at the door, waiting, opening and closing the door as people show up. And, and they start setting off fireworks and having just a ton of fun. And all you can do is stand at the door, waiting, opening and closing it as people start showing up. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a horrible way to spend my 4th of July party. So isn't it such a powerful statement? that the psalmist says he would rather stand at the door of God's house than live in the tents of wicked people? Isn't that something? Do you, do you know what you'd have if you lived in the tents of wicked people? Protection, shelter, comfort. But do you know what you wouldn't have? God himself. 
God himself. At least by standing at the threshold of the house of the Lord, this person, the psalmist, gets to be in proximity to the things of God. I mean, you can just feel the emotion that's dripping from this psalm in every word, every line, every phrase. I mean, I mean, like there are times when I, all I want to do is stand in the breezeway of my grandparents' farm. I haven't been there for like a couple years now. And there are days where all I want to do is just stand in the breezeway and smell the smells, even if it's just for like an hour. That's what I want to do. And, and I'm sure there are times when all, where, where all you want to be at is the place that you love, even for just a day. What the psalmist wants more than anything, more than anything, is to have God himself. Not the things that God can give him, not the emotions he would feel, not even the experience itself, but the living God who satisfies our souls. And it's important to ask this morning, is that what you want most too? Is that what you want? Too often, we think of, of heaven as a vague concept that's a future reality. But what's actually true is that heaven isn't only something that we uh, long for in the future, but Jesus came and when he walked on the earth, the first thing that he said is that the kingdom of God is at hand today. Because of Christ, we can enjoy samples of what heaven will be like to a greater degree. You can actually enjoy the courts of the Lord and spend time with the living God through prayer or by reading his word. How often do you do that? Do you regularly set apart time to unplug from the noise of this world and technology to be still and to meditate on or think about God and what he's done for us and who he is? Do you have authentic friendships with Christians for the purpose of helping each other find greater joy in Jesus. In those things, as well as many others, are the tastes of what heaven will be like. When, uh, when Jesus died, <clears throat> the veil of the temple was split in two, symbolizing that the presence and the dwelling place of God was not confined to the temple anymore, but expanded throughout to the nations. So now we don't have to travel to a specific place to enter into the courts of the Lord, which means that you can sit in your, in your musty basement with your Bible open on the table, enjoying the courts of the Lord as the psalmist did. You can do that. You can go on a walk through your neighborhood, enjoying the presence of the living God. You can gather people in your house, in your living room, and experience the presence of God through the gathering of believers. Those are things that you can do today to experience tastes of what our eternal resting place in heaven will be like. The very last line of this psalm, it says, happy is the person who trusts in you, Lord of armies. Your, your translation might say uh, blessed, Blessed is the person who, who trusts in you. But, but this happiness or um, blessing, as we've seen in past psalms, um, isn't primarily an emotion. It's more like a state of being. Not an emotion, it's a state of being. 
Those who trust in the Lord of armies have a permanent state of being as blessed, as happy. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're in a season of enjoying the courts of the Lord and a really vi- vibrant time in your walk with Jesus or as you're passing through the valley of Baca. Happiness and blessing come to that person who trusts in the Lord because, don't miss this, the blessing and the source of happiness is not the situation or an emotion, but it's God himself. That's the blessing. Because he is the one that can satisfy our souls. So uh, I don't know where you're at this morning. You might be skeptical of this, of this church thing, of Christianity, of God in general. You might be uh, totally like, this is delusional. I, I, maybe you're there. Or you are, you're searching. You're trying to find satisfaction in, in so many things. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe you find yourself searching for things. Or maybe you're a believer. You have placed your faith in Christ alone knowing that by faith alone in Christ alone, you now have access to the throne of grace and can approach it with confidence. Know this, God is offering you, no matter who you are, true satisfaction for your soul. And my hope this morning and every day is that we see God as beautiful and the gospel as incredible and our hearts would long and yearn for the courts of the Lord as the psalmist did. And not only that, but would we see and would we experience God's dwelling place in us and see and experience God's dwelling place in the gathered body of believers, the church. And would we long for heaven as lovely, but right now be eager to get tastes of our future final resting place in his house forever. I'm going to pray for us as we go back into worship tonight, this morning. King Jesus, we are so grateful for the work that you've done by accomplishing on our behalf true life. God, by faith in you, we have the boldness to approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that you will hear us, God. We can enjoy the courts of the Lord because of what you've done, Jesus, by tearing the the temple of the veil in two and opening up access to your dwelling place in us, God. Would we enjoy that consistently, God? Would we not neglect to gather together as believers truly um, enjoying the way that your presence is so uniquely and, and, and clearly here, God. And then would we long for our final and true resting place with you in heaven forever, God? Would we desire that which would cause us to want to get tastes of that here? Would we desire that which would cause us to persevere through times of trouble as we pass through the valley of Baca, would you show us that you can make it a source of spring water, that you can turn a brokenness to blessing, tears to praise, and beauty from ashes? Thank you, God, that you're a God who transforms, a God who satisfies our soul. We are so grateful for your goodness and your generosity towards us in Christ, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.
This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.